confirm our faith with joy and a willing spirit as we hear today's scripture. Our reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verse 7 to 15. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews did not share things in common with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will never be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. This is God's word to God's people. So from our early beginnings in England where uh, the church was a revival movement of the Church of England to its spreading through the colonies to America where we became an actual denomination over these uh, nearly four centuries now, three plus uh, centuries, the church has been growing and about a third of our membership is now in Korea and in Africa. We are a uh, an international church with churches all over the world, in Russia and Paraguay, all places, and a large bulk of people in Africa and Korea, as well as here in the States. And we gather as a United Methodist Church every four years in what is called a general conference. That is the body, the only body that can speak definitively for the Methodist Church. Um, it sets the overarching policies of how we behave, those rules that trustees follow about dealing with property. That comes from the general conference uh, deciding what are the directives for us and how, our, how we are to behave and, and what might be ministry priorities for us in those four years. Between those four-year gatherings, the churches in di different geographical areas across uh, the land gather in conferences, and they're called annual conferences. And we are part of the California Pacific Annual Conference, uh, Southern California, from up around Atascadero, uh, down to the border, over to the Arizona border, up the inner spine of the state, the bishop. Um, Southern California, Hawaii, and Guam is our conference, and we meet on an annual basis. And Charles and John, I'm, I hope Bill has run the errand of trying to track John down. Somebody needs to find him. Uh, could somebody take the initiative? Boyd, could you save the day? See if you can find it where John is. He's supposedly cooking, supposedly cooking pancakes. He speaks right after me, so uh, you're going to have me for a while until he shows up. So we, uh, each church sends its clergy, 
and sends lay representatives to annual conference. And we have John Gentry and Charles Lang as our lay delegates to annual conference. Meredith, who, my daughter Meredith, who is a member of our church, went to annual conference as a lay delegate of the district as a young adult, um, for which we later learned she no longer is. She's grown up. Um, all right. Thank you, Boyd. They said they couldn't find you. I was hiding. You were hiding. Well. So these delegates are going to share with, with you what happened at annual conference. And I like to spend the time of doing this in the worship service because the gathering of annual conference is the gathering of our uh, leaders of our movement, United Methodist Christian in Southern California. We gather not just to eat and to horse around and joke with one another, but we gather to try to discern God's will for us to try to make the hard decisions of where we're gonna put our resources to implement that will. We do a lot of worshiping, a lot of praying uh, together with one another, just like we do here at the local setting. The annual conference is a, uh, a powerful part of who we are. It's the closest way by which we connect with our brothers and sisters of our denomination. The theme of annual conference this year was Thirst No More. And you heard the scripture, and, and uh, Bishop Hagia chose this theme for us because we are a church at uh, some kind of crossroads where we are needing to remember the basics of what we are to be about. And that basic is to offer living water to continually to ourselves as well as those outside of our doors. We feel that the Methodist Church and the movement of Christ has something to offer society. We look around our country, we look around the different countries of the world and how we're behaving towards one another, and we think there is still more work to be done on behalf of God and Christ in this world. And we think we are some of the people that God is calling to do that work. I think we are people that God is calling to do that work. So we were reminded by uh, Bishop Hagia and the other bishops who were visiting and the other speakers who were doing workshops and uh, teaching moments about the importance of being true to the spirit of Christ, capturing that essence of God's love that Christ was living out to us to the cross and finding ways in which to become, to enter into the mind of Christ ourselves so that we might be people who freely and generously offer living water to those who hunger and thirst. So you should be hearing stuff about stuff like that in our reports, as I remind you that the delegates were not only challenged to be the vessels of that living water, but that we too, as members of local churches, share that same challenge from our Lord. So let's begin with uh, asking John to share a little bit about what it was like uh, for him. Thanks, Walt. 
So I was asked to uh, just share some of my thoughts of what it was like as a first-time participant of the annual conference. And so you may be wondering, if you've never been, John, what was it like to go to annual conference for the first time? And actually, I, I took a poll at the 9 o'clock, and there was about three people that had been to the annual conference in the past. Has anybody here been to an annual conference before? Okay, so yeah, I see a number of hands. And for those of you who have not, um, it was a really boring, stuffy meeting. Thank you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I am actually, uh, I, going into it, I thought, you know, this is going to be a bunch of series of meetings. You sit there, you listen to somebody speak, maybe you get to talk. But it is actually a lot of fun and um, a really powerful experience. Uh, one of the things that really... Uh, captured my my attention is that the gathering of people are gives you so much of a bigger perspective and and picture of what our Methodist Church is about. I mean, for our Calpac conference, we've got people coming from way up towards almost Pebble Beach, you know, on that direction. Uh, some people out there in Redlands, some people way down in San Diego, people flying in from Hawaii and Guam, the Philippines, and you just see this amazing uh, just encapsulation of, of the people that are doing God's work all around. And I was uh, just amazed, and it, it, you get this feeling of uh, inspiration so this coming week, we have VBS, and one of the things that we do during Vacation Bible School is we, we look for what's called God sightings, which is just places where we see God active in our life. We see God moving, see something, some place where we see God doing something in our lives. And I felt like I encountered a, a lot of that during the annual conference, hearing what people's, other people's churches are doing and seeing how, you know, the God's work is being done. One of the uh, highlights for me was hearing uh, Bishop Ken Carter speak. And in, his, uh, in his, uh, his time of speaking, he talked about uh, what he calls fresh expressions. So some sort of new, creative, innovative things that the church is doing um, across, the, you know, across the globe. And uh, he talked about this clergywoman in Florida who had been, uh, had discovered that there was a community uh, in her area of, is a, the largest trailer home uh, community in Florida. And she noticed that nobody in that community were really going to church or had a church home or were being spiritually fed. And so she started getting to know these people, started hanging out with them, reaching out to them, finding out, asking questions like, you know, how can our church serve you? What are your needs? And things like that. And to her surprise, a lot of them were saying, hey, we want to have a church service here. We want, uh, you know, a Christian fellowship here. We want to be spiritually fed here. And so instead of saying, hey, you come over to my church down, you know, across the town, she said, I'll bring it to you. And she started developing a missional Christian community right there. And I just thought that was so inspiring and really amazing to see the ways that the church is not just bringing people in, but also going out. Um, uh, another th really quick thing that I'll share is that uh, right outside of the chapel 
And this thing is like a big campus. So it's not just one small building. It's like spread out all, all over the campus, people doing all kinds of different meetings and workshops and things. But right, right outside of the chapel, there is a big lawn. And on that lawn, there's some tents. There are uh, lots of different tents set up to show the different things that our Methodist church is doing actively right now. And I started noticing, hey, these are things that our church is supporting. There was a, a tent for the Urban Foundation, which um, helps support Kid City, uh, which some of you are familiar with because we've given to Kid City before. And actually, the lady that was in that tent actually had spoken at her church before. Uh, another one was for the Spanish American scholarships. And um, I was talking with this person and they were telling me all about the different scholarship opportunities that our church does. Um, another one was for a Spanish speaking uh, camp called Spanglish. And the person that was running that actually goes to the Methodist church right here in Thousand Oaks and knew the youth director that I happen to know as well. So it was really um, quite an experience, and uh, just want to say that um, it's really amazing the things that God is doing, not just through our church, but through all the connections of the Methodist Church. Thank you. Thank you, John. When Walt asked me to talk about this a couple of weeks ago, um, he said, what do you enjoy about going to conference? This is my eighth time to go to conference. And I said, I enjoy the fellowship, enjoy the people that I get to meet, the, the faces I get to put with names that I've heard. And to me, that was a bit, that's a big deal. But what really struck me about this conference, and you know, the thirst no more was kind of the theme that the bishop had set, was and around this scripture, and hopefully you'll read a little bit deeper in that scripture, because it says a lot. And uh, the first afternoon that we were there, we had our laity gathering while the clergy were having their gathering. And a person came and spoke, and she made a very good point. Uh, you know, the theme is thirst no more. And she says, but keep drinking. That's how you're going to thirst no more. Keep drinking, keep learning. We're never too old to, to stop learning. There's always more for us to, to hear and see. Uh, first thing, uh, Wednesday morning, uh, Bishop Hagia talked about five systems he thinks that are really important in every local church. And he, he gave it an acronym of APEST. The first one being apostolic. And that's to send out. That's where we're all supposed to be apostolic. We're supposed to go out and, and spread the word. All of us in some little way, shape, or form. It's not a big deal being a preacher. It's, it's something we can all do in our actions and, and how, we, how, we, how we go about. Uh, P is for uh, prophetic. Speak out for justice and righteousness. That's easy for us to do. We can all do that day-to-day -day in our day-to-day -day life. Um, e is for evangelic. Proclaim the good news. Again, that's something that's not preaching. That's being, going out and just talking about what you know, just sharing what you know. It's not a, a big deal. It's not something you're called to make a presentation on. Just it's all in your actions and what you do every day. The next letter was P for, I mean, S for shepherd. 
that's something we're really good at. You know, we were good at protecting the flock, and that's something that's really important. And it was interesting, and when they put, in, put out the five letters, uh, they put them in uh, different sizes based upon how churches are doing in each area. And the S was the biggest letter. You know, we're really good at that. We just got to work on the other four. The, the last one was T for teaching. You know, that's something that we're all called to do, to transfer what we know about the Christian faith to other, other friends and family. That, again, that's something we can do. Coupled with this, uh, I got to go to a workshop while I was there on discipleship huddling. Uh, so something that Pastor Rachel and Pastor Walt have done, and I've got to see it. I've learned about the online source that I can go to learn about it, and we're hoping that's something we can bring out to the whole church. And this idea of discipleship huddling, you know, we all learn more being together. You know, we don't learn in a vacuum. We don't learn by ourselves. The more we learn and share experiences, the better we're all going to be. And that's, that's what we're called to do. Um, this, you know, there are several services that John talked about. Uh, it was great to hear these, these bishops speak. I wish I took notes as good as Boyd and that I could tell you about what all those bishops had to say. Those were all very impactful. Um, the other thing I got to participate in was memorial service. I'd been a couple of years since I was in the memorial service, and they read off the names of bishops and pastors and lay people that have passed away in the last year. And one of the names that really struck me was Bishop John Wesley Hart. And I heard that name, I thought, oh, he baptized me when I was three weeks old. So that, that, really, that really hit me. That really got to me. But it, it, it was a great time, the annual con It's good to see the Methodist Church alive and well. You know, we had 1,100 voting members there, which are 550 clergy and 550 lay people. There are several other hundred people, hundreds of people there. Support staff, it was a big deal. And uh, luckily, the weather was a little bit better, and so we enjoyed, we enjoyed being out there. Uh, it was so nice that I wanted to stay out there for today because it's only supposed to be a high of 71 out there. I've never seen residents at 71. I thought that only happened in the winter. Thank you. Thank you, Annual conference has always been such an amazing experience for me. I have spent Father's Day week and weekend there for about uh, 26 years of my life. I took about five years off during my uh, college and early married years. And each time I go to conference that I can actually remember, I am reminded about how cool we Methodists really are. And I am always so thankful that I was raised and continue to be part of the Methodist Church. During one of the services, there was a prayer that had a line that summed up perfectly for me why I am a Methodist and why we are incredible. Inspire us to new heights of understanding, empathy, and activism. Move us beyond today's meaningful words to tomorrow's meaningful actions. And we did take some great action through legislations that helped guide us in our church in those three incredible active sentiments. First, understanding. Understanding that we have to get all that business out of the way, like approval of pensions and benefits, compensation standards, allowances, and the budget. Most of these were on the consent calendar and approved quickly. 
the budget was discussed thoroughly, with the main cuts being toward church apportionments by reducing the budget. This allows more resources to stay here at the local churches, and the budget was adopted. The second part of understanding was realizing that what conference staff thought may be a somewhat easy change ends up not being the will of the people. This was a case for the action to move conference to San Diego. The dates would change, making it harder for some and easier for others. The length of the conference would be shorter. The weather much more acceptable than the 100 degree heat of Redlands. A better format for conferencing and more than double the cost for attendees, a less church-like setting. And I lose the tradition of staying in a dorm with my dad, playing cribbage nightly, and losing every time. I lose every time. <laughs> the move to San Diego was not supported, and annual conference will continue at Redlands University for the time being. Our sides of empathy and activism came out in resolutions to add churches of historical significance to be formally registered as sites of historical designation, to adding Disability Awareness Sunday to our offerings, to apologizing for our involvement and complicity in the illegal overthrow of the Hawaiian monarchy in 1893. Now, some of you may be thinking, what? Why? That 1893 was a long time ago. And this is because it is important for our church to acknowledge our misgivings so that we can continue to disciple to the native Hawaiian people with a clean heart and a right spirit to mend the brokenness that our past has been a part of. We activate by demanding human rights in the Philippines, where currently anyone who the military considers an enemy of the state is ripe for open state terrorism. The resolution will be sent to the Philippine Central Conference Council of Bishops, to the Senators of California and Hawaii, and to our Philippine Ambassador. And our conference will send a fact-finding mission to the Philippines to action, to witness for peace, justice, and human rights. We continue to act locally concerning the sanctuary movement, which annual conference continues to support and affirmed again this year. We seek to find a humane and loving way to treat those who come to our borders to find freedom and a better way of life. And a second resolution opposing the practice of separating immigrant children from their parents as a part of a zero tolerance immigration policy, urging not only the conference but the members of our local churches to write to our congressional representatives and demand that heartbreaking separations of families to be stopped, to stand in solidarity and to witness and to share our concerns. What an awesome church we are. Now, as we move from these words, these resolutions and legislations and rules, let us continue in the spirit of active discipleship, of empathetic love, and the sharing of God's love in all of us, of understanding that our place in this world and how we can be leaders with both action and prayer. <sighs> Thank you, delegates. So one of the, the central questions that was uh, discussed, but there was no uh, vote taken on this because we're in a process of unfolding 
and discerning our way towards a decision as a general conference has to do with the, the issue of the inclusion of the LGBTQ community in our church, which we are open to. Um, more questionable, though, in our church and its rules is the inclusion in ordination status as well as uh, marital status. Now, I've been a clergy for uh, 40, plus or minus 40 years, and, and this has been an issue uh, during the whole of my tenure as a clergy. So some of you, if you have been attentive to this or have heard about this as an issue in our church are aware that this has been going on for, for decades. It's, it's traced back uh, maybe 50 years when the uh, rest what's called the restrictive language was put into the discipline that forbid clergy to marry same-sex couples or forbid Board of Ordained Ministries and annual conferences for ordaining uh, gay folk. That restrictive language has been in the discipline setting that as a standard. Um, before that, we did as we wished. Annual conferences, if they felt this particular individual was gifted by God for ministry, uh, chose to ordain that person regardless of sexual orientation, and local clergy behaved as, as they wished without threat of uh, charges being brought against them. That has not been the case during my tenure, and if, if you are uh, cognizant of, of how other denominations have gone uh, through this process and has struggled with it, uh, we United Methodists are pretty much the last uh, of the of the large mainline congregations. Besides, I guess maybe the Baptists haven't crossed this bridge yet um, to formally address this and see how we are going to move forward as a denomination. Other denominations have found this to be a very sticky wicket as they've made a decision, and um, I'm cognizant that some of you are here among us in this congregation because um, of feelings of how it was handled in other denominations. The, the Methodist Church is trying to find its way to hold the center together as it um, moves forward. In 2016, the issue got to uh, such a state of contention at the general conference, every four years, a general conference, remember me saying, um, that it felt like there was a threat of a schism happening, a spontaneous schism happening right there at that meeting. And so the brakes were put on and, and cooler heads prevailed and a decision was made to create a select committee that would talk about how we as a denomination could find our way forward. Is there a way we could plan how we will go forward? And so that was called the Commission on the Way Forward, and that commission has been meeting for the last two years. It's a group of about, I don't, I don't know, 40-some people, bishops, clergy, lay people, um, who have gathered together on, from different points of view on this issue, all of whom, though, love the church and love Christ. And they found themselves moving from their camps at different tables in conversation to mixing together and discovering the love of Christ perhaps being more important to them than the opinion on this issue. So they struggled with 
how can our denomination go forward and stop this argument that we're having with one another, which in most of our minds cripples the effectiveness of our denomination in speaking the gospel and reaching out to the unchurched? So they have come up with a proposal which is going to be formally aired in a couple months, but of which we have heard and the annual conferences that are meeting this summer are getting uh, preliminary reports on so that we have a sense, not of all the detailed jots and tittles, but we have a sense of the broad strokes. And, and I wanna be responsible to you this morning by sharing that so you're aware of uh, what is unfolding. There will be a proposal that shows three options of how to go forward, and I'm gonna offer them in the reverse order of, of how they're called. The third option is called the traditionalist plan, and that plan is that we will move forward being exactly the way we are now with the restrictive language, but instead of allowing some annual conferences like ours to disregard that language and do as we feel we should be doing, this plan calls for strict obedience to that language so that people who violate that restrictive language will actually be defrocked and um, expelled from the church. So that is the traditionalist plan, a, a digging in on the restrictive language. Another plan, the second plan, is called the uh, Connectional Conference Plan. And if you're uh, aware of the Church of England, you're, you're kind of cognizant that they have an umbrella organization, and then they have these things called communions, um, which are somewhat autonomous, but they're part of the larger church. Well, this would be kind of like on that model. Um, Basically, what it is is us saying, no, we can't get along. We're going to be, uh, we're going to fall back into our tribes on this issue. And so the progressive church is going to be the United Methodist Church dash something or other. And the traditionalist church is going to be United Methodist Church dash something or other. And then there's going to be middle of the rotors in a third, in a third option. There's three options. Um, that this is a part of. And so uh, local annual conferences would choose which, which tribe to join, and local churches would decide, oh, I'm going to go with my annual conference and be a part of that tribe, or the local church could say, no, 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 we're not going to be that, we're going to be in this tribe. And so we all break apart and reconfigure ourselves into these three sub-denominations over this issue. That's option two, um, connectional conference plan. Uh, the first option, the one that the Council of Bishops are pushing, is called the One Church Plan, and that tries to hold the whole thing together, tries to hold the center from spinning out of control and keeping a global United Methodist Church, uh, but it does it uh, this way. It does it by removing the restrictive language but also then allowing local annual conferences, local churches, and local clergy to follow their conscience 
and behave on this issue as they feel fit. So the annual conference, if it is a progressive annual conference, might decide that it is open to ordaining uh, gays and the conference would be allowed to do that. Um, another annual conference that feels strongly that that's not the way to go would be allowed not to go that way, would be allowed to be restricted. The local clergy could decide in his or her conscience not to marry a same-sex couple or to marry a same-sex couple. So it provides a, uh, a local autonomy to congregations, conferences, and to clergy to follow their heart on this issue. Uh, the hope of that is that that will then allow us all to feel like we're following our conscience and keep the church and its power of ministry for Christ Jesus alive and effective uh, rather than breaking us apart and minimizing our larger effectiveness. So that's called the One Church Plan. And all local churches, well, if they have clergy like me, all local churches are hearing about these uh, three options uh, this summer uh, so that our congregants are cognizant of what is before us. And our delegates at this special gathering of the General Conference in the spring of next year, spring of 2019, will uh, decide this issue well, let's hope, decide this issue for us and not kick the can down the road and keep us in this, in this limbo. Now, the work of the church happens globally, it happens regionally, and it happens locally. And we are the dear hearts on the local level in the trenches of the movement of Christ among the people called Methodist with a couple other Methodist churches close to us in this community. And our intention, my intention, Rachel and my intention, is to try to continue forward with the ministries of Christ as we are familiar with them and as we are becoming more energized, I hope, to, uh, to do them uh, for our future as we come towards our 50th anniversary. Uh, we and the leadership of your local church are looking for not only some great parties, but for some marvelous affirmations of who we have been for 50 years and who we will become for the next 50 years. It's our intention to lead one another and to be together into that glorious future um, as best as we can. Um, open to have as many folk as want to come to the table be a part of our table. Um, with open hearts, open minds, open doors, open and loving spirits to one another. We are a strong fellowship that in the, uh, the rubric that Charles was referring to Grant sharing has a very big S. The shepherding and the caring for one another is, uh, is tangible, is, is very evident in this place. Um, whatever our diversity is on a variety of issues, we have found, it is my understanding, my experience, we have found ways to be brothers and sisters to each other. Um, I expect that to continue. 
I expect that to be what we do and that we will have that be part of our strength as a body of Christ that brings the gospel love into our community in a continuing way because of who we are here at Westlake Village. One of my, one of my favorite poems, just because it's a great twist to it, um, comes from Edwin Markham from a poem called Outwitted. Uh, he writes this, he, he drew a circle that shut me out. Heretic, rebel, a thing to flout. But love and I, we had the wit to win. We drew a circle that took him in. Well, so you want me every week to talk about controversial issues, is that it? <laughs> yeah, you applaud me, you're just gonna egg me on, you know. Be careful. God love you all for trying your best to be who God has called you to be. And as we face challenges, this is just one of a number of challenges, and I guarantee you, in your life and in my life, it is one of the smallest challenges. Though it might seem like changing the hour of worship, and this are some of the biggest challenges we ever will face. It might feel that way, but you know what? It's not. All those people in that development area that John talked to you about, our biggest challenge is being the people that actually can leave this place and go over to that residence area and start talking about Jesus. That's our problem, that's our challenge, isn't it? We Methodists, trying to find a way to, to share generously to people who aren't exactly like us, the love of Christ.